What's up, Imposters listeners? Alex here. This week, we are re-airing one of our very first episodes of the show, my interview with Olympic speed skater Apollo Ono. Apollo became the youngest skater ever to be accepted into the residency program at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in New York at just 14 years old. And over the course of his career, Apollo won a total of eight Olympic medals, making him the most decorated American Winter Olympian of all time. But in 2010, at just 28 years old, Apollo retired and was forced to find a new direction in life. And it was his insight into this monumental identity shift in his 20s, what he calls the great divorce, that I found so compelling and so useful for examining my own career changes. So I hope that you will find this useful as well. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Apollo Ono. today is Apollo Ono. If you were watching any of the three Winter Olympics between 2002 and 2010, you remember Apollo. He was the one flying past the competition on the speed skating rink with his signature goatee and wild hair, pushing passion and popular interest in the sport to never before seen levels in the US. Apollo ended his skating career as the most decorated US Winter Olympian of all time, with two gold, two silver, and four bronze medals. And though he retired after the 2010 Winter Olympics, his legacy hangs over speed skating as one of its brightest ever stars. Apollo has since gone on to become a sought-after public speaker, a New York Times best-selling author, and is also a partner at Bay Area VC firm Tribe Capital. And though Apollo's Olympic career may have, on its face, looked like something of a fairy tale success story, in reality, there was struggle sacrifice, and pain throughout. Apollo was raised by a single father who pushed him so hard that Apollo developed an at times unhealthy fear of failure. Then, after his record-breaking athletic career ended at 28, Apollo found himself forced to abandon an identity that had ruled almost his entire life to that point. Apollo's story starts with one of the most important figures in his life, his father, Yuki Odo. Yuki is a first-generation Japanese immigrant who defied his parents' wishes and came to the U.S. alone at just 17 years old. And though he didn't have much money or speak any English, Yuki raised his son alone. Just like his father, Apollo had a ton of drive, but he also had a ton of fear. My father sent me a picture of me as a baby, and he's sitting on this chair in the first home that I, that I lived in. And he's like looking at me with this kind of like look and, and eyes and emotional state of kind of like just almost like observing and also not really sure. You can tell he is in this like emotional state of like, I actually have no idea what I'm going to do with this kid. And I'm grabbing onto his like pant legs and I'm like looking at the camera, you know, I've got, I mean, it's a baby. Right? And in his, in his message to me, it says Yuki, which is him. And it says like, I have no idea how I'm going to raise you. And then it says, you know, my dad calls me AO. AO, it says, don't worry, I will raise you. He's been my mentor, confidant, coach, best friend, all these things. And he's pushed me really hard when I was a kid to the degree where 
you know, when I was really young, it caused real strife and friction between us to the point where like I really despised my father for a period of years, which I think is like somewhat normal in your early teens. But he was such an incredible teacher looking back. Uh, just a, a lot of life lessons associated. And then, you know, at some point in your childhood, I know you became aware of speed skating. I, I've heard you talk in the past interview about how it's like, why wouldn't I want to do this? You're looking at freaking superheroes, basically people who they're, they're superheroes, except <laughs> they don't have the capes, like who wouldn't want to do that? And you have razor blades on your feet. Um, what was his style of parenting as you became interested in the sport? Well, my dad's style of parenting was one in which he like drilled into my head consistently that you have no limitations in this world. Any limitations you place on yourself are man-made and you need to remove them at all cost. And so that was that started when I was like as early as I can remember. I think also my father somewhat believed that I had this limitless potential, but he also believed that I was at a disadvantage for some reason. I'm still trying to figure out like why and what that was. I think maybe because he felt that he was such a disadvantage in this country when he first started. And he had to work literally like three to five times harder and longer than anyone else. And so like that was his fundamental teaching was you have to do an incredible amount of work, often much more than anyone else. He had like a long-term vision of where I was going. I think he he just believed, and I think every father and mother believe like their their kids are like very special, right? Because Because they are, but... For my dad specifically, he like really believed that. And if it wasn't true, he was going to make it actually happen. He saw that I had a unique kind of rambunctious like energy level uh, that was outsized to the proportion to the rest of the kids that were like in recess and everything. And I think that came through me getting in trouble or being like disruptive in class or these things. And so I think he saw that there was something there and sport happened to be that outlet in which he saw that could help hone in and dedicate this like laser focus towards something that would give me these fruits of labor associated, like discipline, hard work, understanding what it is like to win on a team, individually, dealing with winning and losing, etc. When Apollo was finally introduced to speed skating for the first time, his father's ambition would come to both help and hurt him. You always wonder about really high-performing individuals, what is it that motivates them? For some people, it'll be a chip on their shoulder. For some people, they felt like they had to provide for their family. There's a number of reasons. And the one that at least that I've heard you publicly speak about is your fear of failure. Talk for a minute about like, what really drove that? Was it this experience? Was it your dad ingraining that in you? Was it intuitive? My fascination and my addiction to this fear of failure, I think began not because of the way that my dad wanted to raise me, but just by sheer conditioning. So... You know, when I was 12 years old, I had made the local roller skating team as like a quad and inline skater. It's like a small, it's like not even an Olympic sport, right? This is like a local thing that you just go to because it rained so much in Seattle. I would go on Friday and Saturday nights and hang out. It was like a safe haven for my dad to drop me off at. And so I made like, you know, they'd have like, okay, it's speed skating time. Everyone go out there. You just like skate around really fast. Like someone's like, oh, you should be a speed skater. And so when I was 12, I remember telling my dad, that like, you know, this sport was like kind of fun, but I don't really enjoy it that much. And he's like, oh no, you have to work really hard. The other kids who are in Florida and other parts of the country, they don't have as much rain so they can train outside significantly more than you. Kind of see this pattern, right? Like you're at a disadvantage again. And so he used to wake me up on these mornings where it wasn't raining in Seattle at like 3.30 and 4.30 in the morning. I was 12. And he would pull me out of bed, drive me to these empty school and church parking lots. And he had this miner's light like strapped to my helmet and our old Volkswagen rabbit and just 
he had had the lights on and he would just like have his like little clipboard and then he would just make me skate around. I don't even know what I was doing. I just, he would just make me skate around. And that was his like idea of work ethic, right? Just do more, just, just layer. Obviously it's probably wasn't the smartest thing, right? Sleep is probably much more important, but I think he was ingraining me. And then I told him one time because I'm so tired. I was like, I, I hate this. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is so painful as a kid. And he like stopped. I remember he stops the car and very serious and he basically made me explain to him why i wanted to quit he made it very difficult let's just say that he made me feel like shit for wanting to quit at the age of 12 and like i don't fault him for doing this but so that at least when i go back in time that's where my fascination with like this failure and let down really was deeply rooted was i can't let him down i can't let others down and I, I don't want to have this like feeling of failure where I showed up fully and it just wasn't enough. I wanted to be able to say that I showed up fully in my entirety and regardless of outcome, I'm still happy with that outcome. That was like non-existent back then. So that's where this fascination began with the fear of failure. And that perpetrated much later in my career, many different ways past my father's teaching and mentorship. And it kind of exacerbated in ways where I psychologically had a really, really big issue sleeping because I wasn't able to kind of shut the brain off with those perceived failures, so to speak. And I was so worried about this glass bowl that I had falsely believed that I had been occupying and that the world really, really was judging me based on this pure result that's on a piece of paper. It was all bullshit, but that's that's the way that I lived for like 15 years. It was, it was pretty psychologically painful. Not only was this fear of failure psychologically painful for Apollo, but it had external repercussions too. Apollo's laser-focused drive would end up impacting his ability to navigate the next phase of life. Well, it definitely had its consequences in my career, both with how the relationship was with my teammates, with my coaches, and with people who got close to me. So if you can imagine, like relationships have always taken a backseat in my life to the degree where it just wasn't fair. And I would, you know, I would shut off. I would go in these like isolated moments of like hermit crab, like mentality. I wouldn't communicate. I bottled up all of these kind of emotions and fears and I was able to express them in sport in a really compelling way. But when I retired in 2010, the guardrails that existed of the weight room of the jump training program, of the sprints. And like those exhaust fumes can exit when you train physically. You can actually exhaust yourself throughout that process. In life post-Olympic career, if I'm no longer using the catalyst of the physical realm to express myself, they get lashed out in other areas and it's not healthy. And so that's what I found to be something that I really, really needed to work on when I retired 12 years ago. I was like, I am an obsessive person who has been so focused on one sole thing for my entire life and married to this idea of this identity that makes me that I don't even know who I am outside of this. I don't know what else I'm interested in. I don't know how to actually operate and thrive in other areas of my life, but I'm also still really driven because I'm competitive and I, and I want to win and I'm still buying into the world's external belief of where I think that they believe I should be. And so I want to satisfy that. And that began this process of like understanding my own human behavioral 
patterns and recognition and how I can perhaps learn about growing. As you can see, losing your identity is a really scary experience. It's time for a quick break, but when we come back, we'll explore how Apollo was able to learn to let go of speed skating and re-find himself in the next phase of his career. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Apollo's retirement from speed skating was a huge transition. How does one go from focusing their entire career on one specific athletic endeavor to figuring out how to make their way into something else entirely different? And at 28, no less, when there's still so much life ahead of you. I had personal reasons for wanting to hear how Apollo navigated this transition. So selfishly, I want you to tell me as much as you can about that journey. Because for context, eight months ago, uh, I moved from the CEO role to the executive chairman role of Morning Brew. We sold our company just over a year ago. And very different backgrounds we have, but very similar experience where there's an, effectively an identity crisis. The last seven years, I've been building a company thinking about nothing else. 95% of my identity is as founder of business and CEO. And the question is like, okay, what's next? What gives me purpose? And I'm sure those are a lot of the questions you asked yourself. Uh, I want to just hear how you figured it out. Well, a lot of it was trial and error, to be completely honest. But something that I did realize when we decided to retire was I said no to everything for 17 years straight. Everything was secondary. And so now was my chance to say yes to everything. No matter how audacious and wild or ridiculous the business or the idea or whatever, wherever, the, wherever it would take me, I started to say yes. And throughout that exploratory phase, by the way, I'm very grateful to even have had that chance. A lot of people don't have that chance. But for me, it was through exploration of these unique experiences that I was really interested in exploring. And that was like, what else am I really good at? What else do I love to do? Like, do I want to like, I don't know, go sell Toyotas? I don't know, like, like, what do I, what, what am I passionate about? I actually had no idea. So this reinvention required to go through a divorce. And that real divorce was I had to divorce away from this belief that I was this person that was held on my Wikipedia page or my identity and instead say, you are so much more to that. And even in areas where you haven't yet explored and that required kind of loosening the grip on what gave me security, which was these attributes, actually, not the actual title. I thought it was the title of these things that that's who I was and why I didn't do what I did. And instead, it began this process of like saying like, oh, man, like you are just a beginner and a baby. And so a lot of this was like starting from scratch. So one, identifying and accepting myself for who I was in all of my flaws in that process, right? So that's kind of radical self-acceptance was a big part of this. And then also making the conscious action to say, 
okay, like I, I love you for who you are, Apollo. Like these things were a part of your life experience, and now it's time to break free and step into this kind of unknown atmosphere. Apollo talks a lot about what many professional athletes have to go through and what he calls the great divorce. That is when a pro comes to the end of their athletic career and has to separate themselves from the sport that was their true first love. It can be an enormous and painful identity shift. This is also the subject of his newest book, Hard Pivot, which was published in February. For Apollo, the great divorce wasn't exactly immediate. Take, for instance, this exchange he had with the founder of Tribe Capital. I remember having a conversation with Arjun Sethi, and I was saying, Arjun, this is, by the way, two years ago. Arjun, I'm thinking about going back to the Olympics and making the Olympic team one more time, just to do it, like after being 10 years retired, right? And he looks at me, he's like, is that what you want to do? But Arjun, very like calculated, right? Like, if that's what you want to do, like, you know, like, tell me why, why is it that you want to do that? So we start talking through these processes and start talking through these things. And what I realized when I was going through this whole process was that me taking the role of going back to the Olympics, by the way, this was like me, like looking at, I, so I used to have these calluses on my hands, like on this, on this pinky. And then on my, my fingers from tying my skates all the time from like those years of tying my skates. And so it was very rough around these areas where you just build up the calluses. I remember like touching them and I kind of laughing and I'm like, like, wait a second, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you considering this? It's because you naturally are going through the next transition phase of your life. And what's natural as a part of that is you to revert back to the mean, back to what was comfortable and what was known and this blueprint of, hey, don't forget, man, this is what got you there. This is what made you successful. These are the things that you are as a person and you're never going to lose those things. So the easiest path, actually, people are going to think I'm crazy, but the easy path was to say, yes, I'm going to go back and make an Olympic team. Um, and that's when I said, you know, no, I'm going to go down a different path, a road less traveled and one that is very uncertain. And throughout that process, I do believe I'm going to find a ton of fulfillment, joy and happiness because it's forcing me out of the comfort zone in a way where even on the subconscious level, I'm making these small incremental wins. And so when people go through these reinvention processes, I typically ask them, and this is, you know, for people who are able-bodied, it's a much more of a direct question. I say like, what is your physical routine like? If you really want change, the easiest, lowest hanging fruit is to disrupt that by shocking the physical system, which then forces the mental game to get back in, to be really, really focused and to show you how strong you can really be. So you want change, start there, disrupt that system, and then you start to see the trickle down effect in other areas of your life. And though Apollo did eventually disrupt that system for himself and shift his focus from being the best speed skater he could be to being the best business person and investor he could be, it also came with its own set of challenges. I've seen you talk about in the past, like this feeling of imposter syndrome and really starting from this blank slate and you have to somehow get smart about the business world and investing. Like talk about what the emotions were on just like the rise up to get proficient in understanding what the hell was going on in this world that you're now steeped in? Yeah, so I'll give you one particular example. So when I retired in 2010, I had made some friends with some families in Asia who were deeply ingrained in the rare earths, minerals, and mining business. And the only son of this most sought-after engineering family in mainland China had asked me to help him grow the business outside of mainland China. And me being naive and dumb enough, I was like, I absolutely can help you in that. And I remember being in these iBanking meetings in London with some of our other partners. 
And I remember them seeing me and saying, Hey, like my daughter watched you in the Olympics. It's so amazing to meet you. And then after that, it was almost like I was just disregarded. I was just like, I was the guy getting into the door and I was like, Oh, that doesn't feel very good. I want to be recognized as someone who knows what I'm talking about. But you know what I had to do is I had to do the work. I was behind. I didn't have a 10 year experience in geology and mining and understanding off-take agreements and cross-border transactions between two different countries and negotiating the price of like, uh, europium or some of these other like, you know, elements that like I had to learn about, I had to memorize and I had to go really deep in, I had to go to the conferences. I had to have many sleepless nights. But a part of that obsession was deeply rooted where I didn't want to feel stupid in these meetings. And I wanted to be recognized as someone who was not just a Olympic athlete, but actually knew what he was talking about. That was hard, man. It was really hard. So imposter syndrome, very, very apparent and clear. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have imposter syndrome, right? But I do think that all of us tend to perform when we have some semblance of confidence associated. And so in the beginning, you just won't have it. You have to have those incremental steps and you're going to have to fail and fall on your face and get back up and learn. But eventually, just like when you're swinging the bat at someone pitching at you, you're not going to hit it right away out of the park. Eventually, you'll start to learn in that process. But doing the work is irreplaceable. And so the only way to get there and accelerate your process is by starting and starting in the best way, mechanically reverse engineering the process of saying, well, this is what I want to be seen as if you're subscribing to that external signal again. Then what is you know the next step below that? And then going all the way down to like, how do I start today? I mean, a lot of people just fail to start, right? Because they just they're in fear of it not being perfect. Well, it's super powerful, and at least for me, and I'm interested in how you got to this answer for yourself. I think it gets back to that question of what does fulfillment look like? How do I know if I'm enjoying or loving the work I'm doing? How do I know if it's coming from within me versus all those people who are nodding their heads and the expectation of oh, you have to be a serial entrepreneur, you have to do this or that? How do you know the decision you make, which one it's driven by? I guess, how did you try to answer that question for yourself? And like, where have you found fulfillment in kind of this second act for yourself? I think it's a question that like when I ask myself, and I can only speak for myself, Alex, is when I notice that I am still getting the confirmation from my peers, but also from like the founders that I talk to, whether I'm investing into a company and I know that they need help. If I'm able to provide some semblance of help, that alone makes me feel worthwhile makes me feel enough again, right? So I become addicted to that process. Same thing when, you know, I retired in 2010 and I was doing all these executive retreats and leadership programs and talking to Fortune 100 companies about how the reinvention processes look, how do you kind of cultivate this Olympic uh, gold medal mindset, et cetera, et cetera. And when I would see that gleam of spark in these executives' eyes, that gave me like a sense of happiness and fulfillment that I was no longer doing this only for myself and seeking my wins, but I was seeing them progress. I was seeing them win. And the same thing goes for our micro community that we have, right? So one of the areas where I felt like I was really starting to understand that I enjoy both speaking and also seeing people improve or be hungry to improve and then see that glimmer in their eye was when I was going on stage and just talking to a lot of these Fortune 100 companies and Fortune 400 companies and basically seeing uh, these executives like ask questions that were pretty relevant to what I went through when I was an Olympic athlete and then post and then hearing them talk about it in a way that I was like, wow, like how do you know the same feeling that I also went through? 
And I was like, oh, because we all live between the prison of our own two ears. Like we all still create these like man-made constraints and, and hurdles for ourselves. And so when we talk about like, how do you know if you're on the right path? I think it's first determining like what's just really important for you as an individual and a human. Right? So like zooming out for a second, something my godmother used to always ask me is like, what do you think Apollo that you want from the universe? And what do you believe the universe wants from you ultimately? And that's like a very hard question to ask, right? Like, like, what is that? Does the universe want me to do uh, venture capital? Does the universe like, I don't know if it's that specific, right? But I do think, you don't think the universe talks about web three. Maybe they did. Maybe, maybe the universe is web three. Um, but the, you know, like, I think that the, that the real question there is like, what am I getting out of these different tools and experiences that I'm pursuing? And what is it about these micro communities or interactions or Twitter or whatever else that I'm actually liking and enjoying? And do I believe this is wholly a part of my process and journey to becoming the best version of myself? That's really the ultimate question I like to ask people. And sometimes the answer is not clear. Like sometimes the answer is, I don't know if I really enjoy what I'm doing. Does that mean I should stop it? I don't necessarily think no. I'm not a big believer in that. I think a lot of times we have to do things that just suck. It's a part of the process. And those periods of our life and time is actually where we can really glean the most amount of insights and strength and lessons for the next chapter or whatever that chapter might be. And I also want to remind people that your chapter doesn't end at 40 or 50. There's a lot of people in the world who are trying to reinvent themselves well into their 50s and 60s. I think Apollo's onto something here with a clear self-awareness around the type of work and experiences that create purpose. He is optimistic, but Apollo is also honest about whether or not it's realistic for most people to find what they're most passionate about. I also think that the reality is that like, you know, those things like, oh, if you find what you're passionate about, you never work a day in your life. Like, it's like kind of bullshit, right? Like, what are you, like a rock star yeah, from the yeah. 80s? Like, and you just keep <laughs> playing music, like, well, like with their long hair, like for like the next 40 years. Like, yeah. I- I'm passionate about speed skating. I can't speed skate today. Like, I'm, you know, I'm 12 years retired. Like, it's just not, you have to yeah. find and reinvent and explore. And I also believe that like, when people say this other thing, when they say like, oh, the greatest moments are in front of you, I think there's like some sense and someone's true to that. But like when I explained to you, like the feeling that I had by competing in the Olympics and receiving the medals and, and, and being that like to this day, I haven't found anything that replaces that just being very transparent. And I have to come to terms with that. And that's okay. That's, that's my own belief system that I want to marry back to that time period. I don't have to, I can close that chapter and move on to the next. In Apollo's case, His intense drive, what could objectively be deemed as his superpower, was the cause of both his accomplishments and his struggles. His singular focus on skating won him a record number of Olympic medals, but it also forced him to start at the bottom of the ladder in the next phase of his career. When he entered the business world, he was a complete beginner among peers who had already been working in the space for several years. Such a transition can be disorienting and painful for Apollo and for all of us. But I think what we can learn from Apollo is an important lesson around our sense of self. We are not what we do. We are not our professions or our titles or our accomplishments or even our Olympic medal counts. What really matters for our identities is tied to our core skills and our core values. What are we best at? What matters most to us? And what do we have to offer in our careers and our lives to the world? 
that is a way more grounding place to start. And now, before we go, it's time for some reflection of my own. Apollo's story of figuring out the next phase of his life after skating reminded me of a concept that I recently spoke about on my other podcast, Founders Journal. And though I'm only going to give you the spark notes here, if you want to hear more, go to the Founders Journal feed and check out the episode called How to Maximize Your Own Evolution. We'll link to that in the show notes of this episode. The concept comes from Bridgewater Associates founder Ray Dalio, who wrote a book in 2017 called Principles. In it, Dalio describes life as being a game filled with puzzles. And by solving each puzzle or challenge that we face in life, we earn a gem. And that gem is a principle or a rule to avoid the same sort of problems or puzzles in the future. I think Apollo might agree that figuring out his next career move after retiring from skating was a really daunting puzzle. But one of Dalio's main principles is that evolving is life's greatest accomplishment and its greatest reward. That is, when we grow, it is one of the most valuable and gratifying experiences that we can have. And growth, it should be noted, isn't such an easy thing to achieve. Dalio points out that true evolution involves pain and struggle, much like the challenge and the imposter syndrome that Apollo experienced as he tried to immerse himself in a world of business that was completely foreign to him. I hit a point while growing Morning Brew where I was experiencing deep unhappiness. I had reached all of these life goals that I thought would bring me happiness, like creating a successful company, achieving financial freedom, and professional freedom by stepping away from being CEO, but I only remained lost and confused. And what I found was it was because I had stagnated. I wasn't being challenged. I wasn't learning and growing anymore. So to remedy this stagnation, this lack of evolution, I've made a promise to myself. In 2022, I'm going to build something new. I have no idea what it's going to be yet, but I know that it has to be something that forces me to embrace pain and discomfort. It doesn't matter how big the idea is or if it makes money. It just matters that it gives me the chance to accelerate my own evolution. I'll be sure to share my progress with you as we continue with imposters. And if you're also experiencing a similar sense of emptiness or unhappiness that comes when we stop evolving, I hope you'll join me. And I'd love to hear about it either in your reviews or by emailing us at imposters at morningbrew.com. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our show is produced by Michaela Heck. Our executive producer is Brian Henry. And our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Alan Haberchak is the director of audio at Morning Brew. And Sarah Singer is our VP of multimedia. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. 